why the two of them can never agree, cause they're not built that way. It's true, there is no effect without a cause. A woman can never come under a clause, and she never gives a reason for wagging her jaws, cause she ain't built that way. HBR Talk with Hannah Wallen. Beer drinking regular gal presidential candidate Focahont, er, Elizabeth Warren, is really, really miffed at Democratic, Socialist, and Totally Not Socialist with a capital S presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. She is so incensed she had to approach him after a moment of conflict on the debate stage last week to give him a piece of her mind. You called me a liar on national television, she spat at him as cameras rolled and a hot mic just happened to pick up their conversation. You called me a liar, her unhappy target responded, before amending his statement with, let's not do this right now. What had these candidates so triggered? The moderator had told Sanders that CNN had reported that Warren claimed he told her in a 2018 meeting that a woman couldn't win the presidency and asked him why he said that. Sanders replied that he hadn't said it, that anyone who knows him knows he wouldn't say it, then referenced a video that shows him saying, long before this conflict, exactly the opposite. Immediately after, the moderator turned to Warren and, ignoring Sanders' answer, asked her how she had answered him when he said a woman couldn't win the presidency, and she answered by describing her side of a conversation he says never happened. Q feminist outrage and Bernie supporter outrage stage left and even further left. And it's getting hard to tell the difference, guys. Hashtag CNN is trash trended on Twitter, fueled by Bernie supporter objections to the moderator's casual dismissal of their candidate's assertions about his own history, bolstered by conservatives chiming in with a lot of we told you so comments. Meanwhile, feminist media trotted out all of their old arguments from the failed Hillary campaign about why criticizing female candidates is sexist. On social media, the feminist narrative was that Warren had told, quote, her truth, and that contradicting her claims regarding her meeting with Sanders is, again, sexist. And anyway, the question of a female candidate's ability to win the presidency is itself sexist. That's how it works, you see. Regardless of what the facts are, a woman's assertion is always legitimate. Therefore, even if it's not the truth, it has to be recognized as a truth. And it's not sexist to demand you call it truth, regardless of the facts, just because she's female. It's not sexist to describe one's sex as a qualification for public office, as Hillary Clinton's supporters did, as long as that sex is female. And it's not sexist to portray a candidate as unappealing to just one sex, as Trump's opponents did during that same election, as long as it's women's judgment that is being wielded as a bludgeon against a male candidate's reputation. It's only sexist to question whether a female candidate's electability might be affected by the public's attitude toward her sex. Because female candidates totally never use that as their excuse after election losses, ever. Except Hillary. Oh, and it's absolutely sexist to not take a woman's side when she's arguing with a man about what he did or did not say, even if she's lied about a bunch of other things. Because it's always sexist to call a woman a liar. Always. These attitudes are not surprising considering there's an annual protest march now that has similar origins. In 2016, feminist women were terribly, horribly, awfully offended that a rich man could confide to another man in the crudest of terms about how aware he is that some women are celebrity chasers and gold diggers and not later have his presidential candidacy destroyed by public outrage over that observation. 
So they made silly hats out of pink yarn and wrote inflammatory things on poster board and showed how privileged they are to be able to take the day off from work to whine about it in public. On its official website, the organization behind the event attributes sexism as the underlying cause behind pretty much every position at the socialist end of the Democratic Party platform, including disability rights, immigration, and environmental issues. Everything bad is sexist if women aren't uniquely exempt from its effects, right? Therefore, any time a condition or circumstance is objectionable, women's experience of it is evidence of sexism, right? Except it's not. Sexism is unfair treatment on the basis of sex, or double standards depending on sex. A condition or circumstance that affects both sexes is a genderless problem. We all live on the same planet, for instance, so environmental causes really shouldn't be presented as a gender issue. Both sexes immigrate, and both sexes can be disabled. A negative judgment of an individual woman is not an inherently sexist thing either. A person who lies is a liar, regardless of their sex. Distrusting a known liar's word doesn't magically become sexist if she's female. It's the other way around, in fact. It's sexist to base one's judgment of a condition or circumstance that affects everyone it touches as if only its relationship to women matters. It's sexist to think being female makes a person's word unquestionable, especially if thinking that requires you to presume a man's word disposable. It's sexist to think that being male makes a person's distrust of public attitudes into an attack on the target of those attitudes. It's sexist to use accusing an innocent man of sexism as a crutch with which to try to prop up a boring woman's sagging reputation. It's also sexist to use allegations of sexism as a shaming tool to try to coerce the public into supporting a woman who can't win their support on her own merits. We're told that women are equal to men in every way, just as capable of anything, and therefore their candidacy for any public office is just as legitimate as that of a man. Fine. Great. That means women must be capable of equal accountability, right? So female candidates can handle being just as subject to criticism, questioning, mudslinging, mayhem, and meritocracy as male candidates are. It means, because I'm a woman cannot be given as a reason why a candidate deserves anyone's vote, why she is exempt from questions of ethics or challenges to her policy decisions, or why she has any right to any expectation of special treatment. If being a woman means being above criticism and beyond censure, then we are not ready for a woman to hold an office with the command and influence associated with the President of the United States, an office the holder of which unilaterally occupies an entire branch of the U.S. government. This is not because we are a nation that is sexist against women, but because of the vulnerability to corruption that the phenomenon feminists call benevolent sexism would create under that circumstance. The reason the U.S. Constitution protects the citizens' right to criticize government officials is that we, the people, are the fourth corner of our nation's system of checks and balances. Our right and responsibility to judge our national leaders for character, judge their ideas, and judge their actions in office is what keeps this country from becoming a cesspool of despotism, desperation, and hopelessness. We cannot afford to have a president who can use because of my demographic as a shield against the checks and balances that prevent government tyranny. Real feminists, if there are any out there, should agree with me on this, since the movement they espouse has repeatedly criticized benevolent sexism as a problem for both sexes. The question is, will they? 
Or will they be hypocritically willing to exploit it when they think it's going to give female political candidates a competitive advantage over their male counterparts? Tune in to HBR Talk as we examine one of the most widespread types of false allegation, charges of sexism, and how they are used to shut down men's complaints and shield women, especially feminist women, against equal accountability. Hello and welcome to HBR Talk 117. Actually, that question's not sexist. I'm your host, Hannah Wallen, here with She Who Must Be Obeyed, Karen Strawn, and Nonsense Annihilator, Lauren B., to talk about one of the dirtiest tricks that gets pulled on men, the use of false allegations of sexism as a thought and complaint and female accountability terminating cliché. But first... Well, you know what we got to do. That's right. I'm here to remind you to head on over to badgerfeed.com and register to receive notifications. We can't make YouTube give us fair treatment, but we can pick up their slack by offering that information to you ourselves. And we can't stop corporate entities from engaging in political discrimination, but we can provide you with an alternate way to support our work. That's why feedthebadger.com is the most stable way to help us out. So remember, folks, information is power and we have it. Head on over to Badger Feed and register to receive those notifications and feed the Badger to help us share the news and analysis you come to HBR to hear. Feminists, too. After all, the Honey Badger Brigade is run by women. And uh, according to the feminist dogma, if you don't listen to women, you're sexist, right? Uh, right. Yeah. No, you're, you're totally, if you don't listen to me, uh, not only are you sexist, but you're stupid. Um, and, uh, and also a bigot and stupid. And did I say misogynist? Also stupid, if you don't listen to me. So um, th- that's just because I'm a woman. And because I'm a woman, I have like a, a women's way of knowing things, right? You know, as Eve Ensler put it during her keynote address at the National Organization for Women Conference in 2012, deep in my heart, in my soul, in my vagina, I know things. I, I was I was actually quite surprised that her brain didn't make it to the list, but um, <laughs> deep, but, deep, deep in my vagina, we have wait. a badger in chief. <laughs> Oh no! I wait, wait! Introduce you. I didn't know you came in here. No, I'm just passing by. Just, just happened to just roll passing by. Passing through, huh? The yeah, boss is no, I mean I might stay for a while, but just don't, don't. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm just undercover. I'm just in secret. So. Oh no! Yeah. I put you up on the screen. Everybody knows you're here now. Oh, oh yeah. so oh, they let, didn't you until let the I cat did that. Out of the bag by like talking. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did, didn't I? I let the cat out of the bag, but you know. That's okay. Deep within within my vagina, <laughs> I, I knew that that oh, was not, the right thing to do. Not just your not just your vagina, your heart, and your soul, and your vagina. Every place, but, but your not brain. Your brain. Yeah, but not your brain. Not your brain. Your heart, your soul, and your vagina. Yes, women do not know things in their brains; only in our other body parts. Well, the soul really isn't qualified That's as a true. body part. It's just it's just a metaphor. Yeah, but you're right. It's like, uh, yeah, you, you can know. You know, you know what I found very interesting about that experience? Because I, I sat there 
watching this keynote address and I was just like, what fucking planet am I on? And how do I get off? Planet feminist. The vagina planet. Okay, but she she opened the speech by running up on the stage and yelling, are the vaginas in the house? And everybody cheers. Okay, everybody cheers. And then she yells, are there any vagina-friendly men in the house? And everybody cheers. And I'm like, okay, so you're referring to women as body parts and men to men as people. That preferences. That's not individual preferences. Are there are there female body parts in the house? And are there men who have individual preferences as the individual moral agents that I recognize they are as a feminist? I'm just like literally like referring to women as body parts referring to men as human beings I, I was like i was just astounded and uh and yeah like her entire speech was an abdication of female agency it was like yeah women are solely defined by what is done to them and not by what they do oh oh, oh but wait some of them are defined by what they ask others to do for them but right. you can't criticize so. that or you're sexist oh totally my God. sexist. it was it it was just fucking ridiculous, you know, and, and it's horrible because she was using this, you know, this this absolutely uh, traumatized victim as her foil, right? Her springboard for her entire speech, right? This woman was, you know, like raped half to death. She needed nine surgeries, right, um, to, to repair her body, can never have kids again. This is a woman in the Congo, right? And uh, so she's using this woman to essentially say, you know, like, women are the substrate upon which men write their actions, full stop. And uh, and that that's all we need to know. And, uh, and, and the reason why all of the evil men are essentially raping the women in the Congo as well as the Congo itself is because only men buy computers and cell phones and tablets, right, that require the manganese and the cadmium and, and the other... Uh, minerals that are in the Congo. Only men buy those things. Only men are driving this this uh, situation where the militia in the Congo is trying to gain control of the mineral rights um, and raping and pillaging their way across the country to do so, right? Because it's only Western men. Western men are raping and pillaging the Congo, and it's only women are hurt by this, right? And and I'm like, uh, I, I'm pretty sure you have a cell phone, Eve. Uh, you have a blood cell phone full of blood cadmium and blood manganese and, and you know. She made it from her Blood vagina. cobalt. You know, yeah. no, that's right. That's right, Karen, take that. What? Take that. Eve Ensner's vagina made her her cell phone. Yeah. There we go. Oh, it's a vagina right. cell phone. It's a vagina phone because you know she receives information. We need to do there. We need to she do. She receives skit. it just like we receive it on our cell phones. She receives it deep within her vagina. <laughs> the we vagina phone. The, yeah, we need God. to do a skit where like a phone rings and it's like it's the vagina phone. Well, it's the vagina the signal, obviously. Oh my God! I wonder what that would look like. 
<laughs> Bad woman. Well, you know how that would look like as a signal, you know. You know Not how when men inclusive. are jerks, we accuse them of having their head up their ass. Well, there's your there's your uh, illustration right there. It's the vagina signal. Yeah. And then you need and, like and a whenever... wet sound effect. <laughs> you know. I, like I never I never accuse I never accuse feminists of navel gazing. I always <laughs> accuse them of vagina gazing. There you go. So yeah. You know. Well, I I think I heard Lauren pop. Pa- I, I was gonna say that that's pretty uh you know um sexist towards the women who don't have vaginas <laughs> oh, oh we no go. oh we forgot i guess eve ensler is never going to be invited back to that conference she's canceled yeah. well, eve, oh, eve ensler is too edgy not... <laughs> too patriarchal for that she's been problematic before like oh, she's the one well, that I mean... uh, wrote the vagina monologues right yeah, but that's just raping an underage girl. That's not that's not as problematic as as, as uh, not offending as, the as, that some as denying as denying a lunatic the the basic human right to have his lady balls waxed by whoever he chooses. <laughs> yeah. Um, he got arrested. Yeah, he well, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he has he's a habit of assaulting somebody. People. So yeah, he's he's accused of assaulting somebody. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. <laughs> Um, but he has, but a string. Uh, he has a string of assaults. So we're not supposed he, to be referring to it, or is it? He, he, when it, no, he's a, he's he insists he insists he's a she. I, yeah, I refuse yeah, so to did, so did that. Tanina. Okay, in that, that when she tried to get you banned from Twitter, and we all know that she was mocking the trans community as, as a as a way of. Uh, I, know, I, I, don't I don't care. I don't care. And you this know, guy is doing the same thing. And the evidence on I that call- has come out. It's this. This is somebody who is exploiting um, an actual disorder, uh, exploiting the fact that you can't question it. And that's like that's one of the big problems. This this idea that you can't question that there's a thought terminating cliche that you that gets used by a community. It says, now, you can't question anything we say or do because you're a misogynist or you're uh, transphobic or you're racist or you're, you know, yeah, trans misogynist. And there are people who are who genuinely suffer from gender dysphoria who are basically being mocked by people like this guy. And it's it's really, really unfair to them to accommodate him after he has made a very very strong demonstration that he is just exploiting the you can't question this community uh uh thing i to have get away i with have crimes. i have no problem i have no pl- problem calling theron meyer she i have no problem calling blair white she i have no problem calling any trans person who is essentially uh making an effort to present as a she or as a he you know like it just Honestly, now Theron actually went through some serious, um, like not just the gender dysphoria, but the whole transitioning thing, and that that's not exactly easy. Yeah, no, it's not. But you know, like I met her when she before she went on hormones, right? And it was it was just automatic to refer to her as she. It was pretty obvious. It was just automatic. It was pretty obvious. Yeah, no, and it it's it's. It just it just comes off the top of your head. It's it's like it's on the tip of your tongue to call her she because it's obvious that she's presenting as a she, right? But Jessica Ni Jonathan Yaniv, right? 
is I think that that's just a person who's exploiting a loophole in the law where they can just identify as a person who get then therefore gets access to 13-year-old girls in bathrooms and change rooms. That, that well, seems I mean, but to be there's and- already women who have access to 13-year-old girls like Eve Ensler who uh, has sure, sexualized right. them and apparently sure, but... may have abused them. And it's in like, both cases, we should be able to criticize. And in both cases, society has these thought terminating cliches. You can't say that because this is a, you know, this is a woman, no matter what, and no matter what behavior uh, this this person engages in, you can't say this. And at the, at As... the other end of it with Eve Insler, oh, you can't say this because she's a feminist woman. And therefore, anything she says about women must be right. I see what you did there. No. I approve. <laughs> well, okay. Here's the thing, though, right? Like, Eve Ensler, she wrote that portion of the vagina monologues, right? And and it was disgusting, right? But I don't know whether she's ever, you know, kind of uh, uh, talked her way around, you know, asked advice from people online, you know, if, if I'm, uh, you know, in a public bathroom... A public ladies room and and some 13 year old girl gets her period for the first time should i accompany that girl into the stall and help her insert a tampon because you know i think that that would be very helpful right and i i'm just like what like okay what? yeah but the the conversation is about the, the double standard um which you know oh, eve, yeah. ensler, eve ensler really exemplifies yeah. and i'm I, you know, I wouldn't, considering what she did write, I wouldn't necessarily put it past her. But of course, she doesn't have to ask, does she? Because it's just assumed that she's perfectly safe around young women. Yeah. You know, and uh, I noticed that the, I think Eve Insler was one of the consultants on that Mad, the recent Mad Max video, where you have a bunch of old women uh, drooling oh, over and Max palpating the young, the young women. I'm like yeah. looking at or the girls. I'm like looking at. That, I'm like, wow, okay. Um, the the evidence is stacking up that Eve might have some uh, sticky fingers when it comes to young girls, as yeah. it were. She might be uh, one of those aunts that you just don't actually want to go visit. Yeah, you don't want to sleep over at her place ever. Well, yeah. and you know, you look at the two. You look at the two and compare the two. You have um, at least. A certain contingent of people have been able to come out and say, you know, what what this guy said was inappropriate, right? Uh, obviously, yes, not everybody. Probably like, because he's a man. because at, people are recognizing that he's he's faking being trans, and it's you know it's it's one thing for um, trans people do have to fight transgender women and tr- transgender men do have to fight for recognition in in society that's been a thing that's not denied or anything like that but it has become popular and it has gotten that um that stamp i guess of public approval on social media and even in government where you can use i'm being discriminated against i'm being harassed i'm being mistreated uh people are refusing to recognize my gender identity as a bludgeon, uh, at least if you're on the the right side of the political fence, it might not work for our side. Um, but uh, in any case, uh, you know it's it's being used. 
It's going to get exploited. Anytime you have something like that, it's going to get exploited. And it is unfair to the people who have gone through hell trying to figure out who they are and uh, have, have engaged in medical treatment that is painful and uncomfortable and dangerous to their health and stuff like that. And, and here we have, you know, here's this person that is sort of faking. It's, it's a lot like Munchausen syndrome. Like we all hear about Munchausen syndrome by proxy when you fake someone that you're taking care of being sick for attention. But Munchausen syndrome itself is faking having a mental health condition for attention or to gain some or, other benefit. Or cancer. No, cancer. Or cancer. Or, well, it's hypochondria, but it's yeah. uh, like the original, it's if I remember right, the original Baron von Munchausen, his Munchausen. thing, Munchausen, he was, he faked uh, being mentally ill, specifically. Um, mm -hmm. And that that's basically what's going on here. And so... You know, like people, people able who are able to recognize that this particular individual is not a person suffering from gender dysphoria, trying very hard to present as female and acting like the way women are accepted to act in society and all that. No, this is this is somebody who is engaging in the type of behavior that is associated with with dysfunctional men when they become predatory and dysfunctional women when they become predatory but in the ways that are the awkward and uh boundary boundary uh, ignoring ways that are associated with like pedophiles specifically um oh yeah would it be no, okay like in, if i did this if i had altruistic motives right would it be yeah, okay no, with, with and and of course with, people are going to recognize and criticize that because they're recognizing this person is not a woman. Now, if he was actually with presenting a woman, really well yeah. as a woman, if this person was a woman, people might ignore everything that 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 he, she has done. Yes, yeah, and this no, is something like that I actually mentioned on Twitter too. There was a, a a trans woman who was put in a prison who ended up assaulting women in that prison. And everybody this is in was the in the UK. Yeah, mm -hmm. in the UK, and everyone was in. Uh, there was a fervor over it. I'm like, well, you, do you know the stats on women assaulting women in prison? <laughs> so essentially, what she's done is she's done what a lot of women do in prison, which is to rape other women. Yeah, she just presented more as a biological female criminal would, right there. The the uh, prison in the United States with the highest rate of inmate on inmate sexual assault is a women's prison not a men's prison and it, it even though our awareness of prison rape comes from men's prisons uh, men are more endangered by the female guards than they are in terms of sexual assault uh, than they are uh, by by the other prisoners so, meanwhile, in women's prisons, the majority of sexual assault is perpetrated by fellow inmates. So, I mean, this is definitely not a... Uh, if you look at this, this situation, this captive situation, where you have uh, men and women in charge, and you have men and women in cages, and you have uh, housed a bunch of people together that are uh, in, inherently, in some way or another, flawed 
to a criminal degree and a percentage, a higher percentage of them than the general population is violent, you would expect that the guards would have to stop the inmates from engaging consistently across the board, genderless, from, from engaging in violence and sexual violence against each other. But not that's not the case. I can hear somebody in the background running their microwave. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, you might want to mute that. <laughs> our, our sound effects here. Uh, that that's the uh, prison break room. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Karen's not, not that I'm advocating a prison break, guys. That's the, the guards break, not the. But um, but yeah, it, it, here we have another, and and we can't talk about that either. Like we get on on Twitter and talk about that. You get on Facebook and talk about that. This video has already been demonetized. This video was demonetized before we ever started it, uh, because you cannot question women. You cannot point out that women can have dysfunction. You cannot point out that women can be violent. You can't point out that women can be sexually violent, and you sure as shit can't point out that women are sexually violent sometimes, in some circumstances, in higher numbers than men. Because yeah. it's sexist. It's sexist right. to acknowledge that women have flaws. It's sexist to acknowledge that women are equally human to men in all ways, just not the nice ones. You know, not just the you, nice ones. Uh, you know, and and, that, that's, and you that's our thought terminating cliche. Yeah. In in Yaniv's case, I, I would I would like to make the argument that he does have a mental disability. It's just not gender dysphoria. There's something fucking wrong going on upstairs. It's just not that he believes he's really a woman. Maybe maybe it is. Maybe he does, but there's something else going on upstairs. It it's yeah. <laughs> that that is a one sick puppy. Yeah, no, and with Jessica and Eve, um, you, you're looking at somebody who, like, she uses, or he, she, whatever, they use a walker, right? One of those old person walkers. Um, but then is, I've, I've seen video of her running down the block to get away from news cameras and, uh, you know, and also uh, abandoning the walker leaving it sitting there to confront and, and assault uh, somebody who's filming her. And uh, and then, oh, 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 my walker. Oops, I, I almost forgot. I need my walker. Yeah. Right? And it's like, like there's just, just no, like, it's, it's a, this person is a complete fucking fraud, right? Absolute 100% fraud. Uh, acting like a cripple, then hitting people with her cane and running away. Uh, like a natural-born sprinter. Uh, I've I've know. seen I've seen him in a, a motorized scooter. What the hell happened to the scooter? That's that, that's gone. <laughs> yeah. Now there are there are some things I will say with regard to um, these types of mobility devices and stuff. I know that people with back problems can have uh, balance issues and stuff like that, where it's worse sometimes than other times. Uh, this this doesn't sound like that kind of situation. If if you know, the individual is like walking down the street like they're not able, you know, it seems more like that situation where Yoda comes hobbling into the to the room and then, uh, you know, kicks ass for for however many seconds and then goes hobbling out of the room um, <laughs> where 
it, it suddenly becomes less believable that Yoda is hobbling because Yoda is in pain. Um, and, and, and obviously in real life, people don't, people aren't able to use the force to accommodate their, their, uh, disability in order to, to make themselves better able to kick ass, right? You don't switch back well, and forth you, that quickly up, from hobbling to nimble. When you're picking up your walker and attacking people with it. Yeah. Now, I've, I've actually, yeah, no. and, and I've actually seen disabled people do that too, but not consistently. And every time a, a person with a real disability does that, it's, it's a fall risk for them. Uh, and I've seen people try to do that and fall. You reach out to hit somebody with their cane and the next thing they're on their butt because you need that cane to balance yourself or, uh, you know, I've, I've, I work with the intellectually disabled and sometimes, um, some of them will get to it. Like when you deal with frustration, you have a level of self-control and you have a threshold for your self-control. Everybody has this where, you know, it, you, your last nerve, something gets on your last nerve. The next thing that comes along, you're going to react beyond what you would normally consider to be an okay reaction to have out loud in public, physically, whatever. Well, when someone has intellectual disabilities, it's an even bigger challenge for them. And a lot of times intellectual disabilities and phys phys physical disabilities uh, come together and in the same person, right? A uh, you, you person has one profound disability or severe disability a lot of times whatever caused it causes several and they face a whole shitload of challenges and uh, one of those challenges is maybe not being able to express themselves very well so it's possible that an individual could get really pissed off or really upset or really terrified or whatever and even though they need that walker to walk pick it up and use it as a, a weapon or pick it up and throw it or uh, you know I, I've seen people do that but in this situation, um, it, it's what I'm hearing described doesn't sound like a breaking point or a momentary uh, lapse in judgment. It sounds like and that where someone's taking a risk sounds like rapid switching back and forth between, look, I'm handicapped and by the way, I'm going to beat you to death with this walker. Uh, and that's, that's, that's a, a bit of a difference there. And does it does it mean this this guy doesn't have some sort of disorder, chronic pain, or something like that that would cause bad back, whatever? Um, it doesn't mean that, uh, but it does mean that that uh, it might be an attention-getting thing or a sympathy-getting thing to be appearing in public all the time with a mobility assistance device that isn't as necessary as as you know. He says, "I it's I hate to I hate to mock somebody for that simply because I don't know the situation there." Um, but even if, and this, this goes for like Harvey Weinstein, feminists have said the same thing about Harvey Weinstein. Okay. So he shows up with a walker that doesn't make it okay if he did something wrong. And that doesn't make him the sympathy that you might have for any pain or disability that he's suffering now, uh, shouldn't outweigh the accountability uh, factor for, for any behavior that he's engaged in. And I, I, I hope that uh, nobody would allow um, sympathy for him needing a walker or needing a cane or whatever to override the uh, ability to, to judge for character. Hello. 
Yeah, Karen's <laughs> muted. <laughs> so yeah, I know because I was hearing her speak the plate. So I figured <laughs> not everybody wants to hear that, Karen. Lauren, you oh unmuted when you cough. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh crud! That's oh, okay. Wow. Try talking now. <laughs> yeah, Whoever's going to talk. I think you. I think you just muted yourself, Karen. Well, I think All Lauren right. was going to yeah, talk. Yeah, because I'm eating. Jesus. Yeah, You're okay. eating Jesus? That's going to oh upset a lot of people. Well, no. I mean, maybe she's doing part of a sacrament. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. <laughs> it can't be cannibalism because he was a god. The right? sacrament is called pasta tortellini carbonara, and I'm eating it. Ah. Yum. Okay, all right. Tortellini um, sounds like court food. God. I had to. It was right there. I, no. No, I, I know, and she dropped it, and you went for it, <laughs> and it was had. Hannah, that's not okay. <laughs> it's really not okay. Was that inappropriate? Uh, a bun is the lowest. Is the lowest part the the lowest body part? There we a go. Bun. You know, that's just. It's just. <clears throat> don't grab it. Just leave it where it lies. <laughs> You never know where you'll go. <laughs> the lowest form of food humor. Yes, it's the lowest form of humor. Well, um, well, you know, I mean, if you, if you grab a bun or buns, you might end up going to jail. My God, this has gotten really awkward. You get another. Everybody's... You get another silly hat march. Yeah. Oh no! I, wait, yeah. that's if, that's if you pick up the cat. This. <laughs> So back to the double standard. <laughs> um, this this was another one. Like the the women's march is outdated already. Like it, it was it was shit when it started. It was based on a lie. Um, the the grabber by the pussy statement was not about sexual assault. Sexual assault is done without consent. And the statement following it, they let you do it. You don't let somebody do something you're not consenting to. Uh, at least not letting you do it because you're starstruck. Or letting them do it because you like the money. Uh, that's, that's still consent. Just like I consented to work in retail for six years. Even though I hated the job because I liked the money. Uh, so, you know, and I, I needed the schedule to be accommodating to uh, my kid's school schedule. And uh, that's consent. Even though I didn't like it, even though I didn't want to, um, I, I still consented. I wasn't a slave. I worked in retail because I chose to do so. And, you know, being grabbed or being uh, uh, felt up or being uh, involved in a sex act and all of that, it's a lie to say it's non-consensual because you didn't enjoy it. If you participated, if you uh, didn't object if you uh, didn't communicate any boundaries and and your reason was because you liked something about the situation then you're consenting aren't you um and and that double think, standard that we can't criticize that statement that women can just say bullshit like that that women can I tell trump what he was thinking and and what he actually said doesn't matter uh, that's yeah. that's another one of those uh, in, in our society we end up in a situation where we can't have a real conversation about sexism because we can't question anything that feminists say about it well what what i what i love is is they you know consent is an agreement right so 
didn't want to, didn't enjoy it. All of that's immaterial, right? Unless you were coerced, then the question is, did you agree to do it? Did you agree? Did you agree to do it? Right? It doesn't matter whether you enjoyed it. It doesn't matter whether you read it. It doesn't matter. Did you agree at the time when it happened? Right? And, uh, you know, this is, it's all, consent is based on contract law. Right? Somebody putting a gun to your head and forcing you to sign a, a document is uh, that con- that contract won't hold up in court because you can literally say I was coerced into signing, right? Um, so I was coerced at gunpoint to sign over the deed to my house to this person, right? We'll never stand up in court. But if you voluntarily agree to do something, it doesn't matter how you feel about it, other than that you agreed to do it voluntarily, without being coerced, without being forced, right? So, I mean, like, this whole idea of, you know, sex needs to have enthusiastic consent, and she needs to get out her pom-poms, and she needs to dance, and, like, you know, one, two, three, four, pound my, you know, (laughs) blah, 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 right? Uh, like no no she doesn't she doesn't have to she doesn't have to freaking be enthusiastic about it she just has to agree i think the best cheer would be sis boom ba sis boom ba touch me touch me rah 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 um no the the, the whole thing is ridiculous and then then if you look again we're, we're right back to that whole double standard feminists want a standard for determining whether the action was voluntary or not based on civil law, right? Based on contract law. Um, when you when you have a uh, breach of contract, when you have a, um, a contract that is invalid and stuff like that, that's determined in civil court. Unless there's, there's an act of actual fraud uh, and, and somebody has stolen from somebody, um, you, you, all of that gets taken care of in civil court. It's not a criminal matter. But then they want criminal law applied to it. And they don't want the requirements for communication that exist in civil law around contracts to be to have to be met in order to determine that there was a contract or to uh, or to determine that was not that there was not a contract. You know, that that kind of thing. So they don't want the communication, they don't want all of the standards for the civil law they want lower standards than would be applied if we were talking about a contract. And then they want criminal law applied to it. And they want to be able to treat violations as if they can include things that happen essentially by accident because of the lack of communication. Uh, and, and yet they want the violation to be considered as reprehensible as if it was deliberate, targeted, malicious, and extremely violent. And the person who committed it is never redeemable, ever, for the rest of their lives, because of this one act. Right, and that's assuming that the act took place. They they want the accusation to be treated the same way. Yeah. You don't have to have evidence, you just have to have an accusation. Believe her, or you're sexist. Yep. and, And they are using sexism allegations of sexism to promote this set of standards 
and and uh, as a bludgeon against anybody who argues against this set of standards. In fact, to the degree where they'll actually use allegations of predatory attitudes to uh, counter men who say these standards are unreasonable and unfair. Um, yeah. I have left Karen speechless. Now that, <laughs> well, no, that is an accomplishment. Yeah, well, no, I mean, like, I'm, I, I'm having a hard time tonight. Like my, I'm, I'm eating lozenges like they're, uh, oh, geez. well, I don't eat candy. I don't eat candy, but I'm eating lozenges like they're candy. Like people you, normally, still, if I, still, if I were someone who's still struggling candy, with that so. cold or is this a new one? Oh man, I, I spent all day just sneezing my head off. So yeah, um, it seems like you're going to look funny really without sick it often. <laughs> that's, well, uh, that's unfortunate. It's 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 winter, Allison. I know, but I haven't like. Okay, maybe I'm just comparing it to me, and I'm not trying to be an asshole. But I get a cold like once every year. Yeah, I have a son who goes and like licks all the doorknobs at his high school, <laughs> and, then and then comes home. You. Okay, all right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. See, when you've you got kids in school, you're, you're likely more likely to get uh, whatever is going around because they, they bring it home. They bring they bring everything home. Elementary okay. school is even worse because oh, daycare is like oh my gosh. Times. You know why anything. though? You know why elementary school and daycare are so much worse? Because they're run by collectivists in the form of, you know, female people who think that everything should be shared by everybody with everybody. And it is a it, it is a female thing. Um, men yeah. usually don't run things that way. But uh, the, the, the women who run the school system in my area decided that the students are not allowed to have their own school supplies. So oh, yeah. every year... When my son was in elementary school, uh, they had to go out and buy crayons and scissors and glue and all that other stuff. And then those things went into containers in the classroom. And when it was time to use them, the students would go pull things out of those containers. And then when they were done with them, they'd put them back. And for some reason, the school just couldn't figure out why every time one student got strep throat, it just marched through the school like soldiers, you know, marching on the field. Boom, 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 right down the pike. All the all the students in the first classroom would get it, and then all the all their siblings would get it, and all the students in those classrooms would get it, and it would go all the way through the school. And uh, yeah, they're, it's, they're, it's they, lovely. Yeah, and they're all touching it's the same stuff. When, oh, I know it's lovely when you have a school that only has ninety five, and. Uh, there are, you know, there's a period of three days where only 15 students have shown up to school because everybody, all the students are puking their guts out. Yeah. From a norovirus. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is really, really unsanitary. And it's, it's a, it is a collectivist thing. It's, it's teaching the kids to not attach themselves to the idea of having their own stuff and valuing their own stuff. And and having private boundaries related is, to their own private stuff. Private property is bigotry, Hannah. Yeah, it's bigotry. That's, that's what what's basically being taught. So you know you have this situation where they're putting all of the students at risk of infection. And this would have been a horrible thing for me when I was in school because I I like 
my immune system was so compromised that I actually caught pericarditis from my uncle. Um, that's an infection in the lining around the heart. It's not supposed to be contagious like that, as easily contagious like that. Um, it would have been different if uh, you know I'd have been lived with my uncle, but we're talking a, a short visit uh, at our house prior to his development of symptoms. And then both of us came down with, with uh, pericarditis. And our only contact was I gave him a hug. Everybody in the house gave him a hug. You, you, you just didn't, you know, you'd be sad if you didn't hug my uncle. He was, when, when, if you met him, he was just one of those people that he's fun to hug. And uh, great big guy too. Six foot six. Big, big guy. When I was a little, little kid, like two years old. I used to climb him like a jungle gym, um, <laughs> but uh, seriously, uh, but yeah, um, it, this would this would have killed me. I wouldn't have survived childhood if my school had done this. Uh, and the year that H one N one went around was the only year my son's school didn't do it because I went in and sat and had a conversation with the principal. Anyway, I said, "How is H one N one spread again?" And he, he explained it all to me and everything. And you want the kids to get vaccinated for it. And you know, want us to go to the doctor and get a shot because this is so dangerous that, you know, like there was a kid in the Dayton public school system who died from it. Um, but you are yeah. having all of the kids touch all of the same crayons and all of the same glue sticks and all of the same scissors. And I went right down the list and just named every single school supply that they had to share. And yeah. uh, they sorted out the school supplies, and that year the kids kept their school supplies in their desk, and then they didn't share them. So, there you go. It's like, of course, the principal was a man, but uh, so I, I didn't get I didn't get uh, excuses. I got holy Toledo. I hadn't even thought of that. We, yeah. we have to do something about this. Of course, the next year they went right back to the old sharing everything system. But well, because that's just like that's just nice. Yeah. But uh, had I, you know, had I gone in and talked to a female principal about this, the, the first thing would have been, you can't question this. This is, we have come up with this policy. It's policy. You have to follow it. And if I, if I pointed out that <coughs> it's a bad policy and it had been her policy, I would have butted up, butted up the, against the risk of, uh, well, you don't like this policy because a female principal came up with it. Yeah, or just you just don't like the way we do things here, and that's you just not you just don't fit in. Here's the way we do things. It's our our way of doing things, and and if you don't like it, then that's because you're just a bad person. You're just selfish. Um, you know, it's not. It, I don't think you'd necessarily butt up against you know criticizing policy because I'm a woman. Um, but I do think that you'd come up against uh you're criticizing the policy because you're selfish. Um, you know, and it, like with my kids' school, um, when they were in elementary school, uh, they would ask, you know, they would send the supply list that you'd buy. And and other than the duo tangs, everything was just put in one big bin and divvied out. Like the kids had their own, the kids had their own pencil, their own scissors, their own, you know, everything. Um, in their desks or in their little cubbies, but uh, it all initially at the start of the year went into one big bin 
And so it was it was there so that the kids whose parents couldn't be ours to get them school supplies would have pencils and paper and scissors and things. So Yeah, we actually we have uh around here um we now have a program there's an organization that puts you know how you see the coats for kids barrels and the, the grocery stores and stuff like that during uh, the beginning of uh, school during the during the time that the school supplies are out and the classroom lists and everything there are barrels for you to to uh, if you want to donate school supplies so that students whose parents can't buy them um, there were years when when our school supply list without having anything on it that was special like a graphing calculator which would really obviously drive the price up but but there were times when our school supply list was 50 bucks and our sometimes our 50 mm -hmm. and that 50. was that was that was just 100 and freaking 20 100 and freaking 20 that was just getting the bare minimum and and if we got everything the stuff that they said well this is optional which means uh, basically means the teacher or the students are going to give your kid a rough time if they don't show up with this stuff. Um, things like works, you know, parents are expected to buy, to, to, to provide a box or two of Kleenexes um, at the beginning of the year so that the teacher is not yeah. buying Kleenex and stuff like that. I, and uh, I, I was the parent that sent the antiviral Kleenexes. <laughs> I was like, all right, if I'm sending... Uh, something that, that kids are going to be, you know, kids, sick kids are going to be grabbing and touching and, and all the kids are going to touch them and all the kids are going to wipe their, their, their noses with it and then reach for another one. I'm, I'm getting the antiviral kind. Uh, but in any case, yeah, I, I sent, you had to send that, you had to send, uh, oh, hand sanitizer, um, all kinds of stuff like that and, uh, extra paper and all that, all of that. Now... Mind you, this is and and this is this this goes back to the whole uh, gender differences thing. This is at a uh, a workplace where, according to the teacher, um, they're not getting provided with things like copy paper to make copies for students uh, students to use for their homework. And they're not being provided with, like when I was in school, uh, we had classroom supplies that were provided by the school. There were books that were provided by the school, and then there were classroom supplies that were provided by the teacher. Generally things that did not get used up. Um, teachers had like their particular types of, I, I had a, my uh, music teacher actually had a device to put, she would uh, put the chalk in the device and then use it to draw the uh, lines on the board from, uh, you know, God, I can't think of what it's called. The I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I know that, yeah. Put yeah. the musical notes on. Um, my yeah. geometry teacher had similar items like that. Teachers today really complain about buying those things and demand that parents, like I worked, I, I had three jobs, worked in retail as one of them, and was the breadwinner for my family because child support was taking most of my husband's income and uh and we were we were uh paycheck away from the street for about 10 years because he was working full-time so i had to have a schedule where i could be there for the kid and he had to work full-time 
and he had to earn a certain amount of money, and we weren't getting any of it because it was all going to the ex-wife. So it was very much a work schedule like a single mom. And uh, we, I had to work really hard for us to not just be dependent on welfare that whole time. And uh, here we have these teachers that are making like three times as much as I was, demanding that we fund their, by choice, school supplies. They don't have to use a ream of paper a week they don't on on, yeah. on homework. They don't have to assign that much to take home. And in fact, some school systems are abolishing it. But female teachers get very, very wrapped up in those types of uh, in, in, in rules. You have to have homework. I had a teacher that actually thought you, everybody should have two hours a day of homework in every class. And that was when oh. I was in the seventh grade. I, would I have had like eight classes. And I added it up yeah. for her. So you want us to do 16 hours of homework a day? And yeah. She got, I said, what homework should I be doing for choir? What homework <laughs> should I be doing for gym class? You know? Yeah. And like this, this pissed her off, right? Uh, but if you criticize this kind of stuff and you point out, my male teachers didn't do this. I, like I had a lot of male teachers that just never sent home homework. They gave us... Uh, things to know. You have to know this. You have to understand this. You have to study this. Um, and I would I would study the vocabulary from the class and everything, but I didn't have reams and reams of worksheets sent home or have to use reams and reams of paper to do homework for these classes. And uh, it's definitely a very gendered thing. You bring it up, um, and and all of a sudden you're you're sexist against women in the school system. Oh, even even my son's social studies dear, right, Mr. Williams. Um, hats off to you, Mr. Williams, if you're listening. Um, I'm terribly, terribly sorry about my son. Hmm. Uh, he, he's a pain in the ass. Um, in fact, I actually kind of uh, suggested that my son do a series of videos called Me and Mr. Williams um, because some of the some of the stuff that and Mr. Williams has a sense of humor so he actually just thinks it's funny um but some of the stuff that my son does like just sends him random emails of uh teacher memes uh with uh you know stuff like that like just sends him stuff he Mr. Williams came down into the computer science class one day in the middle of computer science just to ask Sam to stop sending him emails <laughs> <laughs> Would you please stop emailing me? And Sam was like, okay. And then Mr. Williams left and Sam immediately sent him an email. Um, so uh, it's, he just, and like Jack, uh, my older boy's power supply on his computer uh, went kaput. So we installed a new power supply and Sam's like, I need that old power supply. And I'm like, what for? He says, I got to sell it to Mr. Williams. So he gave Mr. Williams this huge sales pitch you know, 40 bucks, 40 bucks. You need this. You need this power supply, right? 40 bucks. That's all I'm asking. Okay. 35, 35 bucks. You you literally need this, Mr. Williams. So, I mean, like, he's just, he's just a pain in the ass. He just, he just does this shit to Mr. Williams to be a pain in the ass. But Mr. Williams, I, from? I, don't know. I know, I, <laughs> um, but Mr. Williams actually told him, because Sam was like, it's getting to the end of the semester, right? Like, it's exam week right now. 
And uh, he's like, I haven't done any of my, I got 13 packets of chapter questions that I haven't done. Right. And I'm like, you better get on it. And then he went and he talked to Mr. Williams and Mr. Williams is like, yeah, it's not going to affect your, if you don't do them. (laughs) Jeez. And, and it's like, I, I, I'm like, that's my kind of teacher. Cause it's just, it's just stuff that he would, you know, it's just, it's just a way for him to gauge whether the students understand the material, right? So you do the chapter questions, he looks at them, he marks them and, but they don't go into your marks, right? It's just so that he knows who needs help and who doesn't, right? And so he's like, it's not going to affect your and uh, and I was just like that that that's that's freaking awesome because I hated that kind of stuff. I hated doing chapter packages. I hated doing open ended busy work. I hated doing you know these ridiculous um, you know practice work. Oh, okay, everybody, let's do practice work. I was like, can't we just do a quick? Um, you know, like, why do I have to do these 50 questions? Why don't you just give us five questions on a quiz and I'll do that? Yeah, right? the other end of so, it, the other end of it is teachers uh, using homework for punishment. And uh, this is another one. I've only ever seen female teachers do this. And in particular, the one teacher I had, my seventh grade math teacher was an idiot in a lot of ways. Not just one, just out, like just out, out and out idiot. And she had a thing against sports mainly because she thought sports was just a thing for boys. Um, So when we had athletic activity that was scheduled for after school, like my, I was on the cross country team. My team used to have sometimes hour long bus rides to run against other, I'd get on a bus, ride for an hour, run 2.8 miles with my, my horrible asthma, almost die at the finish line and then ride home for, you know, another hour and then do her homework. And uh, a lot of times her homework was the only homework I had. And she wouldn't assign, you know, do these 20 math problems so that I can see that you have learned how to do this process. It was 150. Oh God. And she would pick sports nights to to assign 150. And uh, this was a regular thing. Um, then, then she got into, if you, uh, if you didn't complete, so if you got 140 of them done and you couldn't finish the last 10 before you got into class and she saw you complete them in between the bells ringing, you know, you get, you go from across the hall to her class, sit down, you have four minutes because of the size of the school. And so you spend four minutes and do the last 10 problems. It's not, oh, the student has learned this material so well that that she can do 10 math problems in four minutes. It's she showed up to class without having her homework done. And so I got assigned to write uh, the rule uh, for how um, how to subtract a negative number from another number, which is basically the, you add its opposite. So if it's negative one, you're subtracting negative one from something, you add one. Uh, and uh, so that's that's really easy, right? To, to, uh, to subtract a negative number, you add its opposite. She didn't say, write this specific set of words from this definition in the book. She just said to write the rule. 
and she gave me 150 times to write the so I wrote the my that version that I just described um this uh this lady actually tried to tell me that this uh this did not say what I thought it said um my parents are english teachers i got corrected on everything i can speak like a normal person I can use poor grammar. I can even say ain't with it without feeling like a hammer is going to come down on me. Now that I'm in my 40s and almost 50, right? But, uh, but to, to subtract a negative number at its opposite means to subtract a negative number at its opposite, even if you think you have to word it in a much more complicated way. And, and the way she said it, it was something like, in order to subtract a negative number, you change the sign of the second number and then add. So it became, what? yeah, and and like this, this was this was a nut, right? So it had to be real complicated. She wanted me to write something that took, uh, she wanted me to write a lot of, a lot of words, you know, 150 times for for a punishment. Um, well, she decided she was going to prove me wrong by uh, calling a boy up to the board that, that uh, was actually a friend of mine, she didn't realize it, and asking him to follow my instructions and calling another boy up to the board and asking him to follow her instructions. And the boy who followed my instructions did the math problem and went and sat down. And the boy who followed her instructions had to read them three times before he could start the problem. So, I got, so um, I got in trouble for mouthing off, even though I didn't say anything. And, yeah, well, I mean, and she told the school that I was too dumb to take eighth grade algebra. <gasps> and then the next year, when I took eighth grade algebra, I tested in the top 5% on the SAT test, the top 5% of freshmen in college Enter, seniors entering fresh as freshmen in college, taking their SAT test for financial aid. Uh, we we got to do. There were a bunch of us in the uh, in the eighth grade algebra class that got to take the test as part of a eighth graders get to take this test thing that they were doing. Um, so yeah. I was I was too dumb to take eighth grade algebra, but I was able to beat the scores of ninety five percent of students entering college the next year. In, in in mathematics um that's that's female <laughs> teachers and i had great female teachers too but this teacher yeah. couldn't stand me and it it over the course of the year it it came out basically that she couldn't stand me because i was a girl who didn't act like a girl i was in sports i didn't um i didn't fawn over the boys in my class uh, she couldn't use the boys in the class to shame me. Uh, she couldn't shame me by, by attacking my femininity. And I saw through her shit with respect to the overworking and everything. And I actually spoke up for myself and argued with her about it. And that she just, you can't question her. And she decided that I was womaning wrong and that was it. She was, she was, she had it in for me. Um, by the end of the year, she had pissed off enough girl's parents that uh, she ended up gone and uh, guess what she decided was the reason why her contract wasn't uh, wasn't renewed sexism yep 
she thought the school was sexist. She told everybody in the community oh. she didn't get rehired because she's female. In a school that was half female teachers, some of whom had been there for for years, some for a couple of decades. One of whom only half, half, half. Yeah, we had a we had a pretty good contingent of male teachers in my junior high. It was great. Um, yeah, but uh, in the elementary school we didn't, but in the junior high school we did. Uh, but in any case, my <laughs> my seventh grade reading teacher was a polio survivor in a wheelchair who uh, had no use of her legs, partial use of one hand, and uh, you know even less use of the other hand, and kept better control of her classroom than that woman. <laughs> so, but it was sexist yeah. that, that she didn't get a contract to come back. Of course. Of course, and uh, you realize so she actually got it for for be her behavior towards all the girls in her class. Is that yeah, correct? towards the girls. Now it was the girls' parents that whose complaints uh, got her got her gone. She was meaner to the boys. Hmm. Yeah, you, that's interesting. You know how um, at thirteen years old, guys don't always have the ability to suppress an erection like there's they get these random you know hormone firing off like you're sitting in class and all of a sudden your your tent is I feel pitched. like I'm, I'm I, I have this feeling of dread in my stomach what did she do called him to the front to do work on the board every single time she would target those boys and she was known for it that's disgusting. That's like pedophile behavior. Yeah. She was trying to shame her. She thought they were doing it on purpose. Well, I, I don't care. I mean, if I'm sorry, but if you are putting young these young boys into a sexual situation that's mm -hmm. making them uncomfortable, I, yeah. I, I she may not think that or she will not consciously acknowledge that she's probably getting off on it in some way, mm -hmm. but I highly doubt she wasn't. I mean, yeah. can you imagine uh, if a male teacher called girls up to the classroom every time the air condition affected their nipples? Yeah, exactly. To humiliate them. I mean, seriously, does it really? I mean, is it is it any better if someone sexually abuses a person just to humiliate them and doesn't get a sexual thrill out of it? Oh, I, I'm I'm I would be I would, to be honest, from what you're describing, I would be extremely skeptical that she isn't getting some kind of sexual thrill out of doing this but that's horrifying and the yeah. boys parents like did the, the boys, boys aren't going to go home and tell their parents that they were called to the front of the classroom because they had a boner yeah they're not going to tell anybody they're going to sit there and be humiliated and attempt to by facing the board directly not have anybody see it um you you know they'll there's a posture that you get and all that and like i i noticed her classroom was the classroom where that happened like all the time and uh it just i when i uh Gross. i sat in the classroom and i realized that she was targeting the guys for that 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 like that really pissed me off but no i i doubt that any of them went and complained to their parents so, and this is this is why the, the 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 statistics on sexual assault are what they are. This is this is honestly why, because there's such know. a culture of silence and shaming around male victims of sexual assault like this, that women like this All... can operate without any kind of reprisal. I mean, to talk about double standard, this is where it's most glaring, is when it comes to sexual abuse 
and how many excuses people will make for women's appalling behavior and at the same time and i've I've had these arguments on twitter of course because you know i'm a stubborn stubborn goat but they will make these like the feminists that i talk to on twitter will say things like they are maybe this wasn't a feminist it could have been a traditionalist i apologize you know i don't want to say that that these ideas aren't not aren't mainstream but essentially these the individual in question was holding men to a higher standard of consent than he did women and i'm like you realize that the predominant risk factor for a boy to go on to sexually abuse another person and this isn't all boys who are sexually abused it's a tiny minority it's like 10 percent is having been abused by a woman so you if you don't hold women to these these sex same sexual standards as you are holding men it doesn't matter what you tell men there will always be men who abuse women because you're not addressing where they're coming from and where they're coming from is having been abused by women yeah there's a uh, one of the things that people don't realize happens there when a child is uh sexually abused the adult doing it takes measures or sometimes the older kid uh, who's been more likely than not abused by an adult because that's what happened to me um and i was i was abused by an older kid uh much older than me who was abused by his mother um, they, they take measures to hide what they are doing and part of those measures involve you know you the term grooming people hear the term grooming they don't really realize what it entails but it's a breakdown of your ability to identify your own boundaries to establish those boundaries to communicate and enforce those boundaries and to feel comfortable doing those things and so by the time the abuse has has been completed by the time this person has gone through the entire process of grooming abuse and cover-up grooming because there is cover-up grooming um that the child is left with a very very broken perception of how boundaries work and there's two things that i've noticed happen a lot um one of them is the child grows up to be sort of a doormat. They have their ability to prevent people from trespassing their boundaries and their ability to make sure other people understand what and where their boundaries are. That's very broken. I went through that. Um, That was like where some people have, uh, they go the other direction and they become boundary trespassers. I became the person who, who can't enforce can't establish can't even identify um am i being am i being mistreated am i being trespassed on is someone taking advantage of me and i still to this day at at almost 50 years old end up in situations where afterwards i look back and i'm like i missed where i should have established a boundary i you know i i did it again and it's not as bad now as it was when i was 20 but it's still like it's a lifelong handicap that it it takes years and years to identify the problem and and work your way out of it and i think i I think what happens with kids who are are sexually abused who grow up to become sexual abusers is they get that done to them and they get taught that relationships are transactional and that the way to uh, meet your needs 
the pathway to getting your needs met is always violent or always aggressive. And they have that formula um, trained into their brains and you can't fix that without therapy. But unfortunately, a lot of times when adults find out a child has been uh, molested or you know any any type of sexual abuse um, used for child porn anything that that's been done to them uh, they they want it's a very uncomfortable thing for people to deal with that this child has been victimized in this way and they get the child out of the situation and and their next step is entirely focusing on outrage against the perpetrator and little to no focus on supporting the child's recovery yeah I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to say something that uh, that was actually really chilling that I read once. There was a thread, in, in, I think it was a Twitter thread or it was a, maybe a comment thread, where men were describing their experiences of having been sexually violated um, when they were children. Because um, the periodically there's a thread on Reddit where they do where they start asking men, oh, uh, does this happen to you? And of course it gets swamped with thousands of responses of yes this does and we know statistically that the the rate at which men are and boys are being sexually abused is like it's a hidden epidemic it it is quite possibly every bit as pre prevalent as the abuse of uh, women and girls except very few people talk about it in fact it could be more but no, nobody's talking about it and i remember this really chilling account by one man and he said that he was sexually abused and he, uh, by a uh, a um uh his i think it was his it was probably his babysitter or a, a like a um an elementary school school teacher i don't remember exactly but he he described the sexual abuse and of course he had the usual guys flocking in on his first comment saying Oh yeah, nice going. I wish I had teachers like that when I and then he kept going and he said, you know, lately when I go to parties and I see a woman passed out in a cloak room, I I get this urge to to have sex with her because I just want to feel it again. And and last weekend I was at a party and I noticed that there was a woman passed out in the cloak room and I pulled off her pants and I held her down when she started to squirm. And I was almost, uh, I almost raped her, but somebody walked in mm. and none of those men were commenting anymore about, oh, you go guy. Well, I wish I had teachers like that when I was in your school. Really? Yeah. You want to be that guy? You want to be the yeah. guy? And he wasn't expressing this like, oh, this is a great thing. It was a compulsion. No. It, he yeah. felt like he had no control over and he just wanted to feel that and he didn't see sex the way a normal person sees sex anymore he saw it yeah. not just as transactional but as purely instrumentative just like the, it's it, there's there's no there's no need to attain desire there's no yeah, need to, i do this no desire was attained with him and yeah. it's like do you want to have that in your brain because that's what happens to a, a minority of course of, of of boys who are abused by women and girls too. That's what happens. There are and girls, girls that too. happens too. And do you want to have that? Do you want to be in a position where that guy is in, 
where he apparently only feels sexual desire in a position where he has complete dominance to the point where, well, from rape. Is that what you want? Is Are you going to continue to say, oh, yeah, go, guy. You really want that because that's sick. Yeah, and you know, what's really... What's really sad is instead of being able to recognize the damage and recognize it as a a problem that needs to be addressed and and a uh, need among uh, abuse victims who are children that needs to be met for for assistance and recovery so that they are able to maybe not end up like that. The people in that thread who were, you know, treating that guy like he was he was uh, complaining about something that was not a valid complaint um, and I've seen guys who talk about their uh, their experiences with molesters who adult women molesting molesting them as children um, as if they're, they're I've heard the phrase a whiny man baby or seen the phrase whiny man baby thrown at those guys like how dare you complain about something a woman did to you um that's that's sexist, i'm glad right? they're How complaining and they 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 will go you know from, what okay can i just say this when a man complains ma no, about not, that no, no, no hang on a second they will go from you whiny man baby how dare you complain what a woman did to you to you monster in in one tweet if the guy switches from this is what happened to me to this is how it affected me when this is how it affected me was what that guy described yeah you're right. And I, I just, they would say that it's a whiny, okay. Men who, uh, and often those guys don't actually say that it was necessarily bad. The guys who go on to, to start to describe the sexually predatory behavior or thoughts that they have, especially if they act on them, they often don't admit that what they, was done to them was bad. They, they, don't, they don't recognize it as a boundary breaking well. thing. Well, they, they, maybe they don't admit it because they're doing So if yeah, they they're, they're doing it was to done some, to them maybe is bad, they're doing then... it to somebody else. But you're yeah. absolutely right. Hannah. Well, there's the, the, the same people who will say, yeah, you go boy, you know, whoever those teachers when I was a kid will immediately call him a monster when he turns around and basically does or thinks about doing what was done to him. Right. And, and he's a monster, but these women are innocent. And and yeah. what they don't realize is that thought terminating cliche that, that we're dealing with. How dare you, you sexist? How dare you criticize a woman's behavior? How dare you uh, attribute damage to a woman's actions against you that would be considered damaging if you did it to a woman? That prevents us from stopping the creation of broken people that society considers to be monsters. Yes. And actually, you know what? What's really amazing is that they'll say people like us who are calling this out, this entire process out and saying, no, we need to recognize this as a boundary breaking thing. We need to tell these boys that what happened to them was rape and that it was boundary breaking and that the right to be angry or sad, they have the right to regard it as something horrifying that happened or not necessarily horrifying as in being trapped by it, but something that shouldn't have happened to them. And when they do, they're far less likely to actually turn around and perpetrate it. 
because they've healed that boundary. They've recognized that it exists. They've established it in themselves and therefore they'll respect it in others. And um, incidentally, when I say that, the average boy is such a, a gentle, kind, and compassionate creature that even when raped, will not then go on to rape others. I'm, I want to get that through feminist skulls who seem to think that rape jokes make people rape, which is astounding. Even having been raped is not a one-to-one -one correlation with going on and becoming raped. Even ha being taught by a woman to be to uh to experience for your first sexual experience to be something that's completely against your will being imprinted with that being taught that by a woman and then taught by society that you should be grateful for that forced sex even all of that rarely only one in ten will actually create a male rapist that on the other only hand, only one in ten will have will that will will that happen to, and to to say that men will become rapists because of rape jokes or ridiculous frat chants or anything like yeah, that, yeah, it's yeah. absolutely absurd. And then not only that, to focus on these so-called cultural factors, which are not studied by any legitimate scientists scientists who look at uh, the science of sexual abuse the psychological stuff in, involved in sexual abuse no no legitimate science looks at rape jokes as a causal factor for rape or any of the cultural factors that feminists to to point at that and ignore what's actually happening is such an astounding if we if we think of it, feminists as being professionals to deal with issues like rape it's an astounding level of negligence it's unbelievable. It's like it's it's a boggling level of negligence to just ignore the real science on what causes rape for junk nonsense, which incidentally yeah. really seems to correlate more with giving feminists power over other people rather than ending rape, giving people feminists power over power over people's ability to express ideas or express themselves seems to be the end result of that more than actually dealing with any of the causal factors for rape one of the things i've been asked that. about that i want to make sure is really clear um when we point out that it is a minority of victims that goes on to uh to become perpetrators uh but a majority or or at least a, a high percentage of perpetrators who have sexual abuse in their history. That's not a contradiction. It is an extreme minority of the population who are perpetrators in the first place, many of whom perpetrate over and over again uh, and are generally dysfunctional in terms of using aggression in criminal ways to get what they want. Uh, not, just, not just in terms of sex, but in terms of property, in terms of access to places, uh, all that kind of stuff. So they'll have criminal histories. Um, they might not necessarily have criminal conviction histories, but they'll have criminal histories. And research has shown that uh, when they discuss their histories of, of, of their behaviors, they're, they're generally violent people uh, or generally aggressive people. So this is definitely a pattern of brokenness, a pattern of uh, having learned uh, th to deal with life in general in exactly the wrong way because of a trauma that has been experienced. You learn to defend yourself against your environment. 
and you know you learn that the best defense is is a good offense and you live that way um and that's that's exactly what happens with that small percentage but it's not the only damage that happens that's the other thing and this is i wrote about this um in an article that's published on the honey badger brigade blog titled u.s incarcerated boys report high rate of exploitation by female staff while in custody um and this is because Feminists thought they would find a high rate of uh, sexual perpetration by inmates against other inmates in the in the prison system, in the juvenile justice system, uh, and so they they pushed for they they basically infiltrated the anti-prison rape movement, and they pushed for the the Prison uh, Rape Elimination Act of of 2003, which was passed and became law. One of the things it mandated was a survey <clears throat> of uh, the experience of sexual misconduct among inmates in both adult facilities and juvenile facilities. And in both adult and juvenile facilities, it was found that men in those facilities were subject to a significant amount of sexual predation by female guards. Uh, in fact, in, in the youth facilities, and this what I wrote about in this, was 91% uh, of uh, adjudicated youth in, in, involved in the two surveys that I uh, based the article on were male. 9% were female. Um, among the youth in these facilities, uh, the, the majority, 92% of respondents in 2008 and 2009, and uh, 89.1 in 2012 were males reporting sexually sexual activity with female staff only and another 2.5% in 2008 uh 3% in 2012 said they had been victimized by both male and female so female perpetrators were involved in 90 approximately 95% like 90 to 95% of the uh perpetration of sexual misconduct against these underage youth in captivity who could not tell them no and walk away because they were in cages they were less than half of the guards less than half of the facility at the prison but they were that much of a majority of the perpetrators and I've been, we've been talking about this all of us have been talking about this for for a few years and we've had people make some ridiculous excuses one of which is it doesn't hurt them they don't mind uh, they view it, some of them view it as a positive experience. They talk about it like they were dating. Um, so I, I looked up some information on the behavioral manifestations of uh, abuse later in these boys' lives. So the paragraphs I'm going to read you are about that part. That misconception and the tolerance it has led to are extremely damaging according to a review uh, published in the Journal of American Medical Association in 1998, so we've known this for a long time, uh, by William C. Holmes and Gail B. Slap. I'm not going to read their, their credentials, but they, their credentials are listed as well. The, uh, the title of it was Sexual Abuse of Boys, Definition, Prevalence, Correlates, Sequelae, and uh, Management. The review compared and reported the findings of 166 studies. So this was not some little tiny study with a few few boys that they asked some questions. This was huge. Victims experienced greater difficulty controlling sexual feelings. They were hypersexual. 
They were more likely to engage in high-risk sexual behavior, such as unprotected sex, prostitution, and promiscuity. They had an increased rate of sexuality or sexually transmitted diseases and partner pregnancy. According to several of the reviewed studies, they had double the rate of HIV infection. The reviewers also found an increased rate of post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety disorders, borderline personality disorder, paranoia, dissociation, somatization, anger, aggressive behavior, and poor school performance. So it could affect your entire career trajectory. Anger, aggressive behavior. Um, Oh, I already read that part. Gender role confusion. Insecurity about intimate partner relationships with both men and women. The reviewed reports showed varying degrees of increase in victimized boys' risk for drug and alcohol abuse from double to as much as 44 times the risk. 44 times, including an earlier start down that path. The researchers reported that sexually abused boys experienced twice the rate of low self-esteem, behavioral problems, and antisocial personality disorder, are twice as likely to run away from home or have legal problems, three times as likely to have bulimia, up to five times as likely to report sexually related problems, including sexual dysfunction. Victimized boys were four times as likely as others to experience major depression and could be up to 14 times more likely to attempt suicide than non-abused males. So when we talk about the epidemic of male suicide and feminists start talking about toxic masculinity and how boys should be allowed to cry and men should be allowed to talk about their feelings, what they're leaving out is the fact that one of the factors that significantly significantly increases the likelihood of a man or a boy committing suicide is being raped by a woman. But, you know, it's sexist to talk about that. Yeah, it is. You know what? You know what else is sexist? The sex offender registry. It's sexist against women, don't you know? I don't know if you guys read that article. There was an article about how difficult time women have when they're on the sex offender registry because (laughs) they literally have uh, men, uh, predatory men, writing them letters and stuff because, you know, they know their addresses and all of that saying, hey, why don't you come over? And they get they get harassed. They get sexually harassed by men who think that they're good to go, right? Because they're sex offenders. And, you know, of course, if you're a sex offender as a woman, you must be a nymphomaniac and you'd fuck anything. So a lot of guys like put feelers out and and all of this. And these poor women um, who are on the sex offender registry, they really deserve to not be on the sex registry because it, uh, it exposes them to... Uh, risk of being sexually uh, optimized. So, uh, the sex offender registry is sexist against women. And also, men on the sex offender registry have had things happen to them like uh, having sticks shoved up their anuses and uh, uh, like foreign objects, uh, being raped with foreign objects. You know, it's it's not just uh, it's not just being beaten to death. There's a, there is often a sexual component to the violence that's enacted against them as well. And I, I'm yeah, I understand everybody's like, oh, let's just kill pedophiles, you her her her. But uh, the 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 thing is, a lot of those guys on the sex re- offender registry are there for things like urinating in public and uh, asking yeah. a woman or, who a, a, a girl or, in or, a bar or, 
who got into a bar and it's an 18 plus bar and he had sex with her thinking that she was 18 plus and it turns out she's a 15 year old yeah or or a guy who was 15 and she was 13 when they uh when they got together and they're like sweethearts you know high school junior high school and high school sweethearts and then uh he turns 18 and and she's still underage and her parents don't approve so they uh they report them there was actually um a uh, a couple on dr phil years and years ago you know they couple with married they have like two kids and and they were just like the sex offender registry has ruined our lives because my husband cannot get a job and the only reason he's on the registry is because my parents did not approve of our relationship and our state does not have Romeo and Juliet laws. And he was a year older than me. Uh, he was of the age of consent and I was not. Yeah, I, I will never forget um, when, when I was still really active on Reddit, there were two news stories. Uh, one was a, uh, a boy, an 18-year-old man who had been, he was... Uh, being tracked down i guess because he had been in a relationship with a, a a 14 or 15 year old girl so two teenagers um who were far enough apart that it it was considered uh, he was he was over the age of consent and she was under the age of consent it was definitely like i would not advise any 18 year old to get involved with or or any 14 year old to get involved with an 18 year old for that matter but I wouldn't criminalize it either. Um, you know, not unless there was force involved. But uh, in any case, that guy was, you know, like the scum of the earth publicly uh, in the news and everything. Then there was the 18-year-old uh, lesbian who had a relationship with a 14-year-old. Oh, yeah. And her parents yeah. took measures to try to stop the relationship and everything. Um, and, and there was a fundraiser for her defense and it was, a, you know, like that was another one. This Dan is sexist. Savage. This is anti-LGBT. Dan, Dan Savage came out against that saying it was an, it was a, it was a homophobic thing. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I, I was like, Dan, give your fucking head a shake. Right. Like normally I agree with you on a lot of things right about sex and relationships and stuff like that right like this idea that he has that um if if your wife refuses to have sex to you if she's just like she's just got an extremely low sex drive and she's not going to have sex with you well you know you either need to leave her or you need to come to some arrangement with her where you can step out right because that's not fair nobody ever got married saying i will again right and uh so she's gonna have to accommodate you in some way right or you're gonna have to leave. I, I totally get that, and I, I think that he's he's generally got some good advice for couples. But this, he, when he came out and he said that this was homophobic, right? This would never happen if it was a if this 18 year old girl was actually a boy. Yes, it happens all the fucking time, Dan. Yeah, you know it. It might not have happened if the 14 year old was a boy but it definitely would have happened if the 18 year old was a man and the 14 year old was a girl 
It might not even... Well, no, it would have happened if... Uh, people even can recognize, you know, that, that the age difference is too far when it's a man and a boy. But they don't rec want to recognize it when it's a woman and a girl. And... Um, or a woman and a boy. You know, I, I, I don't know if it's an every case thing, but just in my personal experience, girls who become aggressively predatory, uh, sexually predatory after being raped as children are extremely violent. I have scar tissue from one. Um, like, scar yeah. tissue in low places. So, uh, oh. yeah, like, to this day. And, and it, that was <laughs> decades ago. Um, and it's, oh my, I think we might be disturbing one of our, our Twitter, uh, Twitter stalkers. Oh dear. We're talking about men, women being criminal. Remember? Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, he didn't like that. That, that, that offended him. Boy, my, if I got graphic and told the story of what happened with her, it would blow his mind. Like this was, this was not the, the, the first two experiences this wasn't, this I wasn't had like with sexual violence, if it no. was, if we're it both it underage people attacking. No, no, both both time, both my first two experiences and the second experience was a probably a result of my looking vulnerable and being unable to establish boundaries with her, and basically following the script of a of a doormat, and therefore I was an easy target. Right? Um, I don't think it would have happened to me if the first one hadn't happened. But holy shit, was that girl violent. And it was sudden, and it was a dramatic change in her, uh, her, her demeanor. And then she just had this flip, and that demeanor was gone, and she acted like, you know, nothing had ever happened. Just wanted to go on. Uh, like nothing had ever happened. And gaslit me, like, you know, uh, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're so oh. upset about. Um, and uh, so this was like really, really messed up and, yes. uh, it, it, it continued until I fought back. You know, I, I didn't even know how to talk to people about that when well, that was just fucking weird, but it, and it's like, you know, people today, like I, if I talk about it, I try not to talk about this very much because people get all sympathetic and everything. And I mean, it, it was awful and it was traumatic and it had a long-term effect on me. Um, I went through a long time of den denying my sexuality because of her, but it was also years and years and years ago, and I am a recovered victim, not a victim, and it's not something that, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't bother me, but it's not traumatic today like it was then, and there are things no. that have happened to me that were more traumatic than that. Um, because I've almost died multiple times <laughs> and make myself sound like I've had this horrible life. And the truth is I haven't like the vast majority of my life has been moments that were not like that at all. And they were great. Um, and, and those moments are in between, uh, upcoming at some point, I'm going to do a, a discussion about landing on your feet and, you know, hitting the ground running because I've learned all my life to do that because of these things. And yeah. I hate focusing on moments like that. I hate focusing on pain and suffering that, that um, 
I had experiences that I went through that are that are things that make people uncomfortable to hear about and things that are uncomfortable to talk about and um, stuff like that because it's getting trapped in those moments that paralyzes people. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I don't I don't like to be paralyzed. So I don't want oh. anybody else to be paralyzed. I love people, right? I love the world I'm in. I love the, the human population as like a giant family, a giant species family, right? I don't want that to happen to anybody. I don't want anybody to be paralyzed. Um, but, uh, and that's one of the things that bothers me the most about feminism. They hate when you hit the ground running. Yeah, they hate when you recover. It's, you know, it's like I, I will to hit say, the ground running. So there will be an upcoming I, discussion about that as well. Yeah, I will say one thing. At least the guys who assaulted me <clears throat> had the decency to look ashamed of themselves once they snapped out of it and stopped. It was just like, uh, oh, fuck, what did we just do? Well, I'm 100% right? sure um, that in, in my situation she was damaged she was she was hurt by somebody nobody well, probably, is like that without having were, something behind them probably those boys were damaged too karen probably oh i'm sure they were you know like i they were the like they were the kids who uh who you know they're grade or two ahead of me and uh, great one grade ahead of me and then uh had been both of them had been held back so they were essentially two years older than me, and and uh, they got into all kinds of trouble. They were the ones who used to egg the school and, you know, uh, just kind of get into trouble, and they always had detention, and, you know, like, they, they were just, they were a couple of delinquents, and, and, and it was probably stupid. a reason for it. Yeah, and it was, yeah, like, likely. absolutely fucking retarded of me to, uh, essentially, I should have you know, if I was going to bum a smoke off of them, I should have just, you know, when they wanted to talk, just kept walking and chatting with them out of the freaking unlit playground and onto a freaking street where cars were passing by and just kept, you know, walking and talking rather than standing there in a freaking unlit playground um, where nobody... Uh, was going to be passing by. I mean, it was it was the dumbest fucking thing well, to do. Well, you know, people make stupid mistakes. Yeah, that's there you go. That's, that is a a naive a function of naivety. There, um, they probably mm -hmm. took that as a, a communication of interest and and went from there. And, and that's I, why they I looked ashamed home. when they when they stopped. Whereas some perpetrators don't. You know, some people yeah, and when, when I walked operating home. from some sort of very unconscious predatory quality. Compulsion, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But when, when, I, when I was walking home, my, my initial thought was, well, that was dumb. I won't ever do that again. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I, I, I did want to do something. Uh, I, I don't know if the super chats are coming up or... Yeah, super chats after that. we go around on this topic. So if everybody's had a chance to say anything, you say you have your say on what you're... you're um, yeah, well, if I did want to say, I wanted to say anything. that we're, we're doing the, uh, okay, well, I, I could say it at the end then. Well, it, it, it's, were you going to point something out? No, it, it's basically, I'm going to point people to your, the, the fundraiser for HBR talk. Oh, okay. But, well, yeah, let's so do the I, super chats and we'll end with the shill. 
Okay. So, alrighty. Uh, sorry, I've been drinking lots of water and it makes me burp. Uh, so it makes me sound like I'm drunk, but it's just water. Um, let's see. I've got a. Look. You have a drinking problem. Yes, then. I have a drinking. <laughs> at least it's not the drinking problem that guy on airplane had, because that that would produce a lot of laundry. Uh, and uh, here we go. My name is Legion. Gave us 1999 uh, and said we need more Badger cartoons. Cattle prod Mike to make him, uh, get him to make more. Wow, that um, was some they really. They take all. They take a long time to do. And, two words uh, apart. Dyslexia. There. Sorry, guy. They they take a long time to do. So he's not as inclined to do them. But on uh, uh, I have I've actually prodded him. I've actually prodded him. On feedthebadger.com, isn't there a tip mic? Um, yeah, there's it? a tip mic. Are you able to leave a message when you tip? Uh, I think you may be able to leave a message, and I could send it to him. Well, um, nothing the thing is, is a that better I think, motivator. Uh, I think to be quite tip honest, Mike and leave a message. Please, 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 more cartoons, <laughs> and then maybe he'll make more yeah. cartoons. Yeah, I think I would probably, if I were to do that, I might actually set up something f just for like Mark Mike's cartoons or the cartoons that we work on together, um, so that people can can fund it if they want it. Because I think Mike is at the point where he sort of needs to have a particular amount of production of the things that he can do in a month. Yeah. So if he yeah. isn't paid for, if he isn't paid for the cartoons, sadly, he's not able to do them. Sort of like the situation Hannah is in; she can't do more work she can't do the hbr talk unless she gets paid to do it yeah so. because then i have to be able to spend money on conveniences that i would otherwise be taking time to to uh you know substitute work for the conveniences at home um and if i do hbr talk and i do the video ahead of time i don't have time to to do those well, you don't need things, to so. the other thing is that yeah. you are worthy of being paid and i think people yep. need to to, un to understand that as well if if there is something that's worth it, and I don't think there much is in the world worth that's fair. It is it is for. fair to ask for for pay for labor, uh, and yeah, for, it is, for, it's for, pay for it, it's fair to ask for pay for this labor. Yeah, because this labor is extremely important. We're the I, in in a lot of ways we're the only podcast out there doing this. That's true. Um, that's true. Like a podcast, podcast, not just YouTube channel, because technically we aren't a YouTube channel. We're a podcast. How many? Uh, just, how many uh, platforms are we on now? Because we've got—I uh, know YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. I—I I don't even know. Uh, Bitshoot, I think DLive. Um, we're also on Spreaker, which puts us on. I can actually take a look. I think we're on uh, iHeartRadio plus iTunes. Um, cause we got a bunch of stuff that we are through the, uh, the actual podcast. Um, so we're on a lot of different things. I don't think we're on Vimeo because we, you have to pay for yeah. Vimeo and it's quite expensive. And I think Vimeo is more for, uh, ooh, Hollywood what, what, productions, what we, television yeah, shows. What, it's more for like, uh, like really edited stuff. So let's see. Hey, we're probably a little too informal for Vimeo. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. did you mention Blog Talk? Aren't we back on Blog Talk, blog talk again too? No, actually, we moved off Blog Talk because oh, okay. Blog Talk is no longer doing podcast archives. I think. Oh, okay. But but we we our distribution we're through Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Castbot, these these are podcast ad addict Podchaser. That's our podcast distribution thing. 
and then we're also on YouTube for our for recording our show. This is essentially just if you're on YouTube now watching this and not actually part of the podcast or listening to it afterwards during the podcast, this is our everybody gets together. We have a community event. We talk to you. We look at your chats. Um, we take your super chats. This is the recording. It's not the end result. The end result is the podcast. So, so yeah. And, so I think it's, <laughs> and, and it's actually, really, Mike's involved in that too, isn't he? Yeah, he is involved in that. He takes the podcast and he, he takes the sound from the YouTube video. If he has the Audacity files, he'll do a bit of editing. But I, I've heard that 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 Karen has become the fly in the ointment with that. <laughs> well, it's not Karen. It's Karen's computer. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I know. Uh, and also, I, I might want to add, it on the subject of Karen, uh, a lot of people don't know this. But Karen does a lot of work behind the scenes talking to, and I guess it's not technically behind the scenes, but she does a lot of work talking to conservative radio, which means that she has yeah, to get just, up at like four or five in the morning to be able to yeah, be ready I, I got, to, to, to be got, coherent for like I, I, six Eastern, uh, shows that start at six Eastern. Tuesday, 6 Tuesday, I got, Tuesday, I got up at like 4.30 in the morning, so I be on at five eighteen with Steve Gruber. Yeah, and then so I had I then I had another like twenty or twenty, like five thirty in the afternoon. So so she does a lot of work. Um, that's actually keeping her like she has to get up at ungodly hours to do it, and she does it for free. And she's doing it in order to bring the the good word to more audiences among conservatives. So I mean that's something like I, I know sometimes people. Uh, it can uh, can uh, be not pleased with uh, the lack of headphones and uh, and other stuff. And but they're they're also not pleased with lack lack what? of what uploads. Yeah, lack of uploads, etc. But Karen is doing yeah. a lot of work, and I suspect that these early mornings may ha be contributing to the 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 sinus problems. Well, and Don't then I nag her into being that. on the stream at night. <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean, if you're, every if week you're, too. You're, well, it's it's only it's only twenty here right now, so it's not too bad. I'll yeah, I know, but it's it's a situation where when you're up at four thirty in the morning and you're stressing your body by being up at that early, um, especially when that's not your regular schedule, it is a stress. So. Karen is also doing stuff, um, and like I said, it's not exactly behind the scenes, but it might not be something that people are aware of. So we give Karen more slack when she comes on the show in terms of not having her headphones or audacity or, you know, not shutting Scraping up. Scraping my plate and operating my mic. <laughs> and not yeah. shutting up and never shutting up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, we are on I, here I to talk, quiet. so there is that. I was quiet a lot tonight. And, and, and yeah, you were quiet because you had noodles in your mouth, she's, woman. She's digest. <laughs> that a euphemism. The, the audacity thing is like literally, if I do like a fifteen-minute recording on audacity, it makes three thousand individual files on my computer. That's probably a that, setting. But regardless, well, it's part deleted. of Audacity. It's the way Audacity does things, and it's it's kind of weird. It breaks your recording up into a bunch of little uh, wave files or something. I it actually have uh, it. It well, you know that when you have if you save your Audacity file instead of just exporting it, um, you get 
the Audacity file, and then you get a folder full of smaller folders, full of smaller files. Those are okay. actually little individual WAV files or individual, uh, uh, oh, what's the other other form uh, that's really, really common. But uh, in any case, yeah, those those actually are a bunch of little sound files from from your overall recording. It I don't know yeah, why it does it that, but it does do that. It doesn't give me an actual recording. It just gives me all of those individual files. Yeah, you have to export so. to get the actual um, whole file. But yeah, it and, doesn't. And and that's a, then that's a separate file that's different from the folder and the other. So now you have three files. Um, so I, I got to deal with this with uh, my my uh, openers because I put sound effects and music in them. And then we run it through that thing that makes my badger talk, um, makes the the mouth move and everything. Well, um, our 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 guy cannot. It doesn't. The software will not uh, recognize the difference between my voice and those other sounds. So when I upload mm. stuff to the box, I upload a shitload of things. I have the raw Audacity files, and then I upload uh, exports of each individual track. <laughs> in order to make sure that he has everything he needs so that he can make the badger talk but still provide you know the end result and everything so there's like a lot of stuff that goes on in the background and uh when i when i say thanks to everybody who works in the background um to make hunting badger hbr talk happen uh that's it's a lot of it's directed to to our background artists who do those kinds of things because it's a lot of work and some of it's stuff that if I had to do it, I would have to learn how to do a lot of that stuff because I never learned how to do it before. So it would be it would be quite a uh, a bit of work. And at this point, even getting paid to do it with my my full time job, I wouldn't be able to. And uh, my full time job is activism for me too. So it's not something I'm going to quit. Um, but I'm going to go on to the next super chat because that was just the first one. So that's my suggestion, though. Um, prod him directly good place to prod him is uh go to go to uh, feed the badger find the find the place to to tip mike and uh you know prod him with with a little bit of cash and and a request especially if you if you have a topic that uh you'd like to see him tackle um that 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 would help uh next super chat is Meredith Glassberg gave us five dollars and said shekels for financial solvency. Uh, Egregious Charles gave us ten dollars and said thanks to Karen for getting up at four in the morning for all those AM talk radio shows. Even Drive if at time. Night, <laughs> yeah, even if at night she does eat on stream. Seriously, a super important outreach. Yeah, that's a Karen, lot of driving. Karen, do you, do you ever get like links to the the shows that you do? Because I, I would really love to hear your radio appearances. Oh well, I mean, I I do have like a link roundup posted somewhere on my blog, like maybe a couple months ago. Uh, a friend of mine uh, essentially went and gathered all of the links and sent them to me, and because otherwise I just can't be arsed. But um, I did, uh, you can Google whiskey politics on, or YouTube search whiskey politics and my name and, and you'll find one of the last, uh, sort of long interviews that I did, um, with, uh, David Sussman. So, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of them are just like radio shows. So, I mean, like and it's, some of them are regional, some of them are like 
you know, uh, from Philadelphia or Cincinnati. I did Cincinnati on tu- on Tuesday night, and uh, Steve Gruber's uh, nationally syndicated and. So I mean, like it's there's it, it's all over the place. So now I'm, I'm guessing when you did Cincinnati, you had to call in. No, you actually flew down to Cincinnati. No, they called me. Oh, they called call you. Okay, in. well, so it was a call, not a. It was yeah. It's yeah. Obviously, it's. And Steve Gruber, I get you know, them they to bring you to on... Cincinnati sometime. Then I'll. <laughs> they. Be like, then they I'll be wanted, like, hey, they get wanted to hang me out with on Karen. It. Was it WKR on video on video Skype um, in uh, for Steve Gruber's show? And I was just like, it's 515 in the morning. It's pitch dark. And, uh, you know, your viewers, uh, if you have them, aren't going to be missing much if they don't get to look at me. Because oh, I'm well, literally radio, sitting in the dark. Unless they're yeah, subscribed but, online, they're not going to see you anyway. Because there's no yeah, cameras in so. radio. But you yeah, know, there but, there will definitely yeah. be listeners uh, at time in the morning. Everybody that commutes, um, a lot of people listen to AM radio in the morning, and uh, mm. like some of the biggest paid radio hosts are morning AM radio shows. Uh, and uh, now I I didn't ever do uh, radio radio like F- FCC regulated radio. But I did college radio, and I was I was lucky. Our university's radio system went through the phone lines, and uh, the way that worked was their broadcast was broadcast from the phone lines, and it worked on campus. But once you got off campus, you really couldn't pick it up, even with a good system. Um, so only on campus could you actually hear the radio station. So we weren't uh, covered by that. But the university itself was uh, established and run by the Mennonite Church. It wasn't a Mennonite university. You didn't have to be Mennonite to go there, but it was fairly strict in terms of like very, very uh, socially conservative university. So uh, there was a lot of stuff that I would have been able to get away with on regular radio that I wouldn't be able to get away with on that radio show. But at the same time, I wasn't uh, bound by like the whole station identification thing and all that. Uh, and I, I wasn't bound in terms of what I could play. Um, I could play any, it, it, we didn't have to be licensed to play music because we were just playing it on campus. And uh, I used to do a morning show and I didn't think I had any listeners. I thought nobody's going to be listening to me this time in the morning. The students are all, you know, rushing to get ready for, for class. They're listening to the real radio stations. I can, I can goof around on here and be a dork and nobody's going to care. And uh, I didn't find out I had listeners until I did this. We had been getting AP News for free, and AP stopped doing that. And so I decided to do mock news. So I, I did fake news in the morning, and it was obviously fake news. It was, uh, you know, parody stuff, because that's just yeah. the way. Like, I, I made fun of uh, uh, Bill Clinton and his whole I did inhale thing by doing a sketch about the Smurfs taking over the the vending machine in one of the lobbies in one of the dormitories. And I did this play-by-play of, you know, using the Smurf language to describe the, the you know, everything is substituted with the word Smurf and, and describe the standoff yeah. between the Smurfs and the local police 
and uh, Brainy being a smokes the spokesperson and all this other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And and I I took it to like right the last minute before I had to go to class when I usually would uh, and I like gave updates throughout the whole radio show and then uh, at the end of it you know I I gathered my stuff and like ran to class and. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize I had listeners until I had students approaching me all day to ask about the end of the broadcast because they had to leave for class before I did because they were leaving from the dorms and my class was in that building and uh, <laughs> and they all wanted to know what happened. So, yeah, morning shows there actually get a lot more listeners than people think. They do, yeah. No, that's the only time I listen to the car. So anytime I'm going, which is a lot of the time. I'm listening to the radio, so yeah. Anyway, so next we super chat. to the next super chat. We have uh, Caleb Goldberg gave us five dollars and said, "You guys are such a breath of fresh air in this crazy gynocentric world." And thank you very much for that. Um, Polaris uh, five eighty nine gave us five dollars and said, "Make sure you teach your kindergartners to say, I will not submit to your worldwide communism.'" Yeah, definitely. That would be that would definitely get them in trouble in school. I mean, immediately, go go to school and call a kindergarten teacher a commie. I wish I had a kindergarten age kid now. I know. Oh my goodness. Um. Uh, my 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 son was taught to give name, rank, and serial number only. Uh, but no, <laughs> he uh, he behaved really well in school. He was the kid that the you know you you have. Uh, prizes for how many books the kids in school uh read and uh he was it was him and one of the girls in the class that basically earned their their class their monthly treat for the class the, the students in the class reading books because uh, he read everything he could get his hands on but uh but there i don't i don't think he would have gotten away with calling his teacher a communist However, he did get away with singing "Girls" by the Beastie Boys to his first grade teacher, um, which you know, that 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 was fun. Tyler Preston gave us five dollars and said, "Feminists won't do a single thing about the sexual abuse of boys and girls by women. They go on about men commit ninety-five percent of murders and all that crap, and they are wrong too." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they true. do. I know, but they do. They they go on and on about it. And then we have the field. We have we've been we've gotten a, uh, a super chat from the field. So I I'm, I, I don't know which one though. Uh, I, I worked in the field. Is it Wrigley Field? Wrigley Field is pretty cool. The field donated five dollars and said it might be cool to watch those interviews after the fact. I, I'm I'm guessing that would be the ones uh, the that. Uh, we were talking about the radio shows. There's the one problem with radio shows. A lot of radio shows don't have public archives. Like a lot of times they'll have archives, but they're not uh, publicly available anymore or or anywhere. Or if they are, they are uh, they are well. Just just go behind a paywall. Go to my blog. Go to my blog, owningyourshit.blogspot.com, and search in the little search bar. Search link roundup or something like that, and. Uh, and you should be, or you can just scroll down about, I don't know, maybe five, ten entries and uh, and find um, uh, a post with a ton of links. Like it's got, I don't know, like 30 links or something like that minimum. 
And uh, that that was like, I, I put that up like six months or a year ago. So I haven't updated it, so. Alrighty, and then, I don't know, that would probably take forever to update now. Um, but uh, yeah. I don't know, maybe we should start uh, keeping track when you uh, when you have a list of like upcoming events and stuff, maybe we should start posting that on the HBB blog. Um, mm. Just so that people will know. But, uh, what I'm last, up to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to tell people what you're up to. One, yeah, might, yeah. one might otherwise think you're up to uh, no good. Well, yeah, yeah. she always is. Yeah. yeah. As well, well as never shutting up. <laughs> the no good thing that I'm actually going to get up to right now is actually shutting up and saying good night. So. Well, I got one yeah. more super chat. Okay. Xerinx gave us $5 and pointed out other hosting sites are Libri, I think I'm pronouncing that right. It looks like short for library. Somebody took all the vowels out of library and, and, and some of the other letters too. But LBRY, exactly as it's spelled, which is a blockchain site, and Brighton. I don't think they allow streaming yet. Okay. But that's two places to look. Xerinx, send me a message at badgerrights at gmail.com. Or, yeah, badgerrights at gmail.com, because I think the topic at badgerpod.com is defunct. But badgerrights at gmail.com. Just send me a message there with your suggestions. Cause now, is that I'm not spelled gonna take a super right as in the way you write with a pencil? Yeah, it's it's okay. rights. So a badger rights, but not a badger rights. It's just badger rights. Okay. Like so girl rights what? Badger rights. At gmail.com. Badger at gmail.com. And once again, I'd like to encourage people, since that's the last super chat, to click on the the little eye in the stream, or if you're listening to this after the show on the podcast, go to feedthebadger.com slash projects slash Hannah, uh, support... Oh, goodness. Give me a second here. Do-do-do. Do-do-do. Someone give me some music or something. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I could. Yeah, um, yeah. Do your do-do-do. Okay. Uh, project sla uh, a uh, slash support dash Hannah's dash HBR dash talk. You can also just go to Feed the Badger and look till you see the Hannah's HBR talk sort of uh, visual and click on that and it'll take you to where you can support Hannah's HBR talk. And I encourage you to do that because I can tell you, I get into a lot of fights on Twitter and sometimes there's nothing more satisfying than hearing the distant rumble of a steamroller coming <laughs> towards an argument and knowing that steamroller is on your side it's like your infantry and that's the tank that's coming over the hill and it's like oh hannah's here <laughs> oh. <laughs> so support her because that's a wonderful feeling when you're in the midst of a despair over you know what did, how do you call it how did can uh, karen call it fighting the fart sword fighting the fart yeah sword fighting well, a fart somehow hannah manages to steamroll farts there we go i'm the fart steamroller <laughs> all right you're the all fart steamer note, hannah i'm gonna say good night um because um, i really do have to go so are the rest of us um, um all right so i will thank you all for sticking out the long sausage uh with me this one was slightly longer than usual and uh thanks everybody for listening and again thanks to everybody that works so hard in the background to make hbr talk happen and uh good night all
the jugular. This is Honey Badger Radio. Radio with bite. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.